What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well, my friend. Uh, we were getting very, very close to preseason basketball, but we got a few more teams to run through here. Uh, we're going to be talking the Phoenix Suns today with David Nash of the Seven Seconds or Less podcast. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing good, guys, and uh, thanks for inviting me on. It's always a good chance to talk to some, some new people and, and new fans in the podcast world, and uh, I always love talking about the Suns, even though it's a bit like self-torture at times, I think. Right. I'm curious how you got into that. Um, obviously, as I'm sure listeners can kind of hear in your accent, you're over there based in Australia. Um, you got the last name Nash. Did you just take it from that? You know, it was Steve Nash at the time and you hopped on board or what made you gravitate towards Phoenix? It wasn't actually. That's a, a nice coincidence in my fandom for the Suns, but uh, I go a little further back. I'm a little older than that uh, and kind of Charles Barkley days. Uh, it, it's a unique story. I think the NBA these days is a lot more popular in Australia. I think we're the uh, you know, second market as far as league pass subscription goes per capita but back then it was uh videotapes uh, and i've got an older brother and I, I would get the videotapes when he was done with them uh, and you know there was obviously jordan uh, there was the seattle teams i loved kemp and peyton and uh detlef shrimp even was one of my favorite players uh the hornets teams when i was a kid as well with uh, larry johnston and mugsy bogues and zoe uh, but I fell in love with Charles Barkley. So that is where my son's fandom comes from and uh, was good back then, good through the Nash years, obviously, uh, and has been a little bit, bit more lean and, and made me wonder whether I made a, a bad choice considering I'm not tied to the city of Phoenix at all. So basically anyone who was inhabited by a Monstar, that's, the, that's your core <laughs> demographic, right? Exactly, exactly. Those were all the guys that ended up on those highlight videotapes. So uh, yeah, I didn't have a great view of the entire NBA at that time. It was really just whoever was uh, turning up on those tapes time and time again. And, and Sir Charles was definitely on a lot of them. You know, we don't give enough credit to some of those guys for their acting. I thought Charles Barkley was actually awesome in Space Jam. There, like, There's that one scene where he's on the, the couch with his therapist. And he's talking about getting blocked by that, the little girl. And he, he's like, it really happened. I, I've always loved that. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a little bit more uh, credit for that original Space Jam when, when the new one comes out and uh, there's a bunch of stiffs on camera not doing a very good job as far as acting is concerned. 
Right, and all the people being upset saying it's not as good as the first one and all the clips <laughs> that will come back of that one. Uh, <laughs> but diving into the team, starting with uh, what you saw last year, we're going to focus on the offseason and next year a lot. But last season was 19-63. and 63. Uh, I think hopes were high heading into the season. What were uh, some of the things that you saw and are able to take moving forward into next year? It was a bit of a disaster, to be honest. Uh, you know, 19 wins, uh, a whole bunch of injuries. Uh, we were talking just before we jumped on here about Igor Kokoskov, who obviously has come over to your team on the Kings. I went in very high uh, as a big fan of his, and, and I thought he was going to be a guy that could turn the franchise around, um, you know, famous for his offense and uh, had just come off the back of winning a, a Euro title with Slovenia. Uh, so, you know, things were positive going into the season like they are, you know, at, at this time every year, you've probably got me at a good time where there's no basketball yet. And I'm still uh, overly positive about the Phoenix Suns right now, but it was the same last year. Um, but, you know, they, they made some key mistakes, which I guess as we get into, I think that really led the way that the off season went uh, this off season going into to next season and, uh, you know, not getting a point guard for the start of that season was was a big thing. And then some of the veterans that they brought in just didn't, um, I guess, didn't compete how they how we'd hoped. And, and the wheels kind of fell off really, really quickly. And, and Devin Booker's health throughout the season was probably something that, um, you know, brought them down as well. So a lot of change last year, which essentially gets us to the, the team that we have now. And there were a couple of positives in terms of additions and things that came in during last season that will hang around hopefully for this season. But uh, yeah, hopefully this season will go a little bit different to last one because it was a fair disaster. Yeah, I believe, uh, wasn't McDonough fired like between the draft and the start of the season? Um, it was early on, right? Or, or I, mean, yep. I should say late in terms of the off season. Yep, uh, I'm going off the top of my head here, but it might have been, you know, eight to ten days or something before the season started. Basically, they decided to fire their GM, which, uh, you know, you guys would know a lot of people have joked about the Kangs in in previous, you know, uh, years. And, and that it's pretty hard to, to uh, shake that reputation around the league. But the Suns have had a similar reputation of just being a complete basket case. And again, this offseason was... Uh, I guess a chance to to bring all that together. They've brought Monty Williams on board on a five-year deal. Uh, they made interim GM who took over from Ryan McDonough, uh, the permanent GM. And now they've kind of got a team that should hopefully have some long-term security together. And, and they're trying to get some respect back. But yeah, to your question, they, they, they uh, let Ryan McDonough seemingly take the number one pick at draft time. Also, take charge of free agency where his major signing was Trevor Ariza, who again is now on the Kings this year. And then they fired him mainly because we believe at least if reports are to be believed, uh, he failed in bringing a point guard to the roster before the season started. And then we saw, I guess how that panned out for the season. Yeah. And uh, I guess before the off season moves, the two big moves from last year, uh, our last episode was talking to Washington, and that's obviously where you snag Kelly Oubre from. And I like to watch a couple of the games uh, of the teams that we're talking about to prep. And I watched mm -hmm. the Washington-Phoenix one, and I had no clue. And next thing I know, I'm in the third overtime. And <laughs> that was a crazy, entertaining game. 
But um, you got to feel like you got a little bit of a uh, robbery here with pulling over Kelly Oubre, right? And I know he was a fan favorite. Washington was upset to see him leave. And in true Phoenix fashion, it was actually, you know, essentially a mistake. I'm not sure if you guys remember or the listeners remember, but uh, the Marshawn Brooks, uh, Dylan Brooks debacle around that trade originally where I guess Memphis and Phoenix weren't on the same page in, in what players were, were getting done. And that's how I guess Washington got backed into a corner because I think in that original trade, Kelly Oubre was still leaving Washington, but he was on his way to the Memphis Grizzlies. And then for everyone to save face really quickly after that uh, trade fell apart, uh, somehow Oubre ended up in Phoenix. I don't think that was the plan originally, but we were very happy to have him because in a pretty disastrous season, he gave the fans at least something fun to watch and, and kind of brought the team together a little bit along with Tyler Johnson. So yeah, that deal, uh, the Ariza... Uh, signing. I remember talking about it last offseason on my pod with uh, my co-host Max. And, you know, we, we love the signing, particularly because, you know, if it didn't work out, we were going to have a $15 million contract there to try and make a deal with. And, and that's essentially what ended up happening. Uh, Ariza left, wasn't very good in Phoenix on a, on a pretty struggling team. And uh, yeah, Ubre came on board. And as we'll probably get into, they were able to re-sign him on a, a kind of a win-win contract, I think, for team and player. Yeah, it's interesting that we've left someone out of this trade. Um, I believe that Austin Rivers <laughs> also came over. And, you know, you've seen it, Brendan. You've seen it in our Gmail, in our, in our Twitter mentions, uh, on the Reddit thread. Everyone is saying, talk more about Austin. Oh, God. So, <laughs> not true. <laughs> that's, all, that's, that's 99% of the feedback we get. It's not enough Rivers discussion. So... David, what, what, can you just give us your, your thoughts and feelings on this, man? I'll put it out there. I was actually quite positive about Austin Rivers being in the trade from a sun standpoint. And that, you know, I guess really takes you behind the curtain of what it was like to be a, a Suns fan last year because we just desperately needed another ball handler. Uh, and, you know, Austin Rivers all of a sudden looked like a positive to, to Suns fans who were sick of seeing, I guess, Jamal Crawford out there. Uh, a lot of rookies running the point guard position. And this was obviously all pre-Tyler Johnson uh, coming over to the Suns, I believe. So that was uh, looking like a positive, but then it came out. Essentially, I think Rivers was the salary to make up to that $15 million that Trevor Ariza was earning. He wasn't very interested in coming to the Phoenix Suns. They obviously didn't see him as being a major part of the trade coming in. And it looks like team and player essentially cut ties for his full buyout amount, if I'm remembering that correctly. And uh, before we could get him in the desert, he was gone. You know, and that's rough to my whole shtick here because the way this started was me saying I'd be interested in him as a potentially a backup point guard for the Kings. And the fact that the Phoenix Suns did not bring him on as a point guard is a uh, pretty rough look for me there <laughs> yeah and this refusal to play is contra yeah. your standpoint of he's a hard worker he's a dog as brendan you know we're he gonna plays hard that. on the floor but yeah and also you, you like uh the last one quentin did mention uh the wizards cover that he was a uh a harm in the locker room as well yeah so we'll we'll, we'll get out our first king's pulse t-shirt it will be austin rivers <laughs> is a dog 
uh, <laughs> and we'll attribute the quote to Brennan Nunez. But, but you kind of complimented him, David. So just so you know, like there's two different groups of guests. There's like Rich's favorites and then my favorites. And you, that yeah. is the instant way that you get decided which one you go into. Was, was it a compliment though? Or was it I had high it hopes? It wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> I have nothing bad to say about Austin Rivers Boom. in a Phoenix Suns uniform. There that's you a go. compliment to me. <laughs> well, that's been another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. We'll see you in a couple of days. So, but seriously, you, you mentioned Ariza there and you also mentioned Kakashkov as well. And both are with the Kings now. Would you mind just giving us um, some quick thoughts that uh, the Kings fans listening here can can take away going into this season yeah i'll start with the the bad uh, there's not much great to say about trevor ariza particularly in a phoenix suns uniform i defended him probably for the first 10 or 15 games of the year because i thought he tried quite hard uh the the full veteran presence was essentially on his shoulders because as you remember we shipped tyson chandler out or bought him out really quick so he could go over to the lakers Uh, Within about five games, it was obvious that Ryan Anderson wasn't just shit out of luck in Houston and and actually just sucked on the basketball court. And and that's been the case ever since in Miami. Uh, So Ariza had a a lot of, um, I guess, burden on his shoulders as the older guy on the court. And he he looked quite good for a few games there. But as the the season went on and, and the... The uh, you know wear and tear was was getting to him of losing constantly. I think he just ended up in a position where uh, he wasn't in a environment that he he thought he was signing himself up for. You know there were even some reports about him, uh, you know being shocked at the the Suns practice facility, which is currently getting upgraded. Uh, shocked that the Suns didn't have a um, full time sh- you know chef with the team and everyone seemed to do their own personal thing, just kind of things that we we learned about the Suns not being uh, in lockstep with the rest of the league. And, you know, Ariza signed for that big contract on day one of free agency, possibly without really doing his due diligence into the Suns. And he was miserable by the time he left. So not a lot positive to say about him there. To be honest, you know, I did track him with Washington after that. You guys have probably had a look at it. He wasn't great there either, if we're being perfectly honest. So I was a little bit baffled by the the move by the Kings, particularly with guys that you have at that position already. So I'm interested to see your guys, I guess, take on that and what you're expecting of Ariza. But before I go into that, uh, Igor, massive fan. I wouldn't put a lot into, um, I guess, the disaster that was the Phoenix Suns year last year. I think he was kind of set up to fail, um, brought in. I guess it, it's pretty funny situation with Igor. He was brought in as Luka Doncic's uh, Euro coach. They just went on to win the Euro final, as I mentioned before. And uh, then they chose DeAndre Ayton at number one instead of Luka. Uh, then they didn't give him a point guard, even though he's known as a, a coach that you know likes to run dual playmakers on the court with lots of ball movement and lots of man movement. And then they didn't really give him any good veterans either. And it kind of came out after he was fired that you know his remit when they signed him on was to essentially take a, a group of veterans and try and chase the eighth seed or something like that. And we ended up playing and starting three rookies kind of midway through the season. So... You know, he was just set up to fail. I could go on and on about that. But I think if they hand over the offense to Igor uh, with Luke Walton, I guess more being the 
the media presence and, and the controller of men, which is where Igor really struggled. And if he can go back to just really focusing on designing a good offense for the Kings, you know, with Fox, with Bogdan, you know, with Buddy Heald, you know, multiple playmakers, I think we'll see the best of Igor again uh, in Sacramento. So I'd be excited about that if I were you guys. Yeah, I mean, that's great to hear. Um, and to mention Ariza a little bit, my one optimism I have about him, because you're right, he did have a very down year on both of those teams, is that it's been about seven seasons of him playing 33, 34 minutes plus. And yep. he's just not going to have that same role in Sacramento because of the depth that you mentioned. Um, I don't like that he seems to complain a lot um, at calls, but he's a smart defender. Hopefully uh, he can set a good uh, a good be a good role model to some of the young guys I know he has a relationship with Luke um, yeah is there anything that you wanted to throw in there on Ariza Rich yeah well it goes back to what you had said earlier talking about him just that you know you felt like worst case scenario last year upon signing him that you'd have a piece to to trade for an asset for the future um, and that's that is how I feel as well that second year being non-guaranteed or very slightly partially guaranteed does effectively make him uh, something close to an expiring contract. And it's a, a, you know, a slight, a slightly less dollar amount for this year as well, which would make sense with his age. And yeah, I mean, I actually today published something for Sacktown royalty about um, some hypothetical trades and it was a very unnecessary piece. Like we're in that part of the season where, or the off season where you just, you, you write stuff to, create discussion points rather than, you know, necessarily making a, a, a really well thought out argument, but, you know, in coming up with some trades, which is really hard to do for a team that is, feels pretty much set. Uh, I did end up having a reason in a lot of them as that kind of, you know, that, you know, looking for an asset for the future. And it, it does make sense to me. And at the same time, you know, I, I don't feel that small forward is a position where the Kings are strong. They do have Harrison Barnes, and I feel good about him. And aside from that, if a reason weren't here, I couldn't really tell you anyone else that can play that position. You know, Bogdan, he he absolutely can. He's able to play the position in a pinch, but it's not his natural position. It's not his ideal position. You can kind of force Bielitsa there if you need to, but he's not defending anybody at the three. So having a backup small forward, that is definitely important for me. You know, how it all turns out, I can't say, though. Right. And, uh, you know, the next thing we can move on to here with you, David, is that Tyler Johnson move. And I think that uh, this was a little bit of an underrated move because, like you mentioned, you only got rid of Ryan Anderson, someone that wasn't really contributing that much for you, and got back a uh, legitimate point guard that you guys needed. Um, what were your thoughts on – him last year I know uh, I read a really interesting article about him sort of sitting down with management and saying hey this is what Phoenix is perceived as as and we need to change all of this so what are your thoughts on Tyler Johnson yeah Tyler was great last year uh, and in a way uh, another guy who got injured and we didn't see uh, the best out of and you know if you just look at his raw stats he actually wasn't that productive in a Phoenix uniform last year but uh, there is a small sample size of about 12 games that all of us Suns fans are kind of holding on to at the moment where we beat Milwaukee, Golden State, uh, Tyler's old team, Miami, 
and a couple of others and essentially went six and six over that 12 game stretch just after the all-star break. And whilst his stats weren't great, Tyler was playing starting point guard in that little stretch. And, and Kelly, as we mentioned before, was in the starting lineup as well. So those two guys together were just two great culture fits uh, for a, a Suns team, which, as I said, with the reason before, was just really struggling to find an identity and, and have some veteran guys, you know, it's kind of funny that I'm calling them veterans. I think Kelly's still 23 and Tyler might be 25 off the top of my head, but you know, comes from that heat culture, really hard worker. Uh, and I'm actually a big fan. Uh, you know, I think he gets a lot of flack because of that contract that he's on. So a lot of people automatically go that he's ridiculously overpaid uh, and wasn't playing there towards the end with the heat because they were just, um, you know, too deep at the, the starting shooting guard and then with Wade and uh, Dion Waiters even um, was kind of holding up his minutes the last you know season and a half or so. But again, going back to Phoenix, we've been very thin at a lot of positions. So even a guy that's just, you know, average NBA player uh, makes a huge difference on this roster. And, and he came in and made a huge difference. And as you said, uh, a great trade from James Jones, one of his first moves as the GM, uh, and funnily, you guys probably would have seen this with the Kings as well. You know, everyone goes straight to the negative whenever Phoenix make a move. And I, I remember the day that this trade got uh, completed and a lot of uh, general NBA fans on Twitter laughed at the Suns for for what they were doing. And, and us Suns fans were sitting there going, you know, Anderson's virtually unplayable, had another year on his contract at the same amount as Tyler Johnson. And we essentially flipped it into a guy who's, actually going to play and probably will be the first guard off the bench in this new lineup next year. And then as we were talking about with Ariza before, you've all of a sudden got a $19 million expiring contract if the Suns can get involved in a, a trade for you know another star or something as well. So yeah, nothing but positives to, to talk about uh, with that very small trade in the general landscape of the NBA, but quite a good win for the Suns, I thought. So let's get into the offseason here because, you know, the trades throughout the year, I think, throughout the season, were fine. Um, I, I definitely like the addition of Kelly Oubre. And then, you know, being able to retain him for two years, $30 million, I think that's a definite win. There could have been the opportunity, you know, easily could have been an overpay there or losing him outright. You guys ended up keeping him at a, at a totally reasonable number. That's a big mm-hmm. win. Obviously, trading a guy that can play for a guy that wasn't going to play, that makes some serious sense. But when we get into the offseason here, I start to lose the optimism that you seem to have. Because especially on draft night, there were some moves that definitely had me scratching my head, particularly trading the sixth pick to Minnesota for Dario Sarge and pick 11 you know, and then in proceeding to, to select Cam Johnson. Explain to me what there is to be optimistic about this move. Uh, well, it's a good question. Uh, I think if we uh, just talk about the trade uh, itself before we think about uh, who the Suns actually picked, I was very, very high on Jarrett Culver. I actually had him as number two on my mini draft board, uh, particularly for the Suns. So as soon as we traded away the sixth pick, especially when all the rumors on draft day were coming out about what the first five picks were going to be. Uh, I was pretty shattered because I didn't think he would fall to six and all of a sudden it became uh, an option that he was going to. So the fact that the Suns made a deal uh, before the draft had even started 
um, I guess, you know, removing themselves from the Culver conversation, I, I was pretty shattered about. But bringing in Dario Saric to play essentially the starting power forward and just moving back to number 11, and then the way that the draft was shaking out, I was absolutely certain, based on team workouts and things, that we were going to pick Brandon Clark at number 11. And then I thought the trade would have been you know, very, very justifiable, bringing in a starting power forward and, you know, potentially a future power forward in years to come that would have been a great fit with DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I think that the trade would have been, yeah, as I said, a home run. They didn't do that. They picked Cam, uh, as you said, at number 11. And I think that's why the trade got pulled apart quite a bit. But uh, I think as a Suns fan, you need to understand with a lot of these moves, and I'm sure we'll get onto the TJ Warren one at some point as well, You've got to have the context of 10 years missing the playoffs, uh, what last offseason was where they went into the season with far too many question marks, and a new GM in James Jones this time who just decided that they were going to take some losses on individual transactions to actually put together what looks like now a solid, albeit not great, NBA rotation. So he's taken some L's, I think, in these individual transactions, and I actually... You know, applaud him for doing so because our previous GM, Ryan McDonough, uh, if anything, was too worried about how certain individual trades and transactions were going to get talked about and his reputation. Whereas James Jones is just trying to put an NBA team on the floor. And to be perfectly honest, if anyone's been, you know, following the Suns over the last few seasons, they've had maybe two, three, maybe four competent NBA players on a 15 man roster. And that's how you end up with the embarrassment of the win totals. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, I mean, you do have more talent on this roster. Uh, the fit is where I have some questions. I like Saric um, mm-hmm. as a little bit of a short role and then playmaking uh, at that four. And I think I actually had question, asked you a couple questions when I was looking into Phoenix of uh, – what does Bridges play and what does Cam Johnson play? And I think that you had told me Bridges is a 2-3 and Johnson's a little bit of a 3-4. And I feel like getting Cam Johnson, obviously an older player, I think he's interestingly older than Devin Booker. Yes. Um, you would think that he'd be more ready to play and uh, get minutes quicker. Uh, does it feel like he's going to be a backup for with Saric? Well, they've also brought in Frank Kaminsky and, and Czech Diallo as well, which I would slot in as kind of fighting out for the backup four minutes at the moment. You know, it's an interesting question. Cam Johnson is probably the one guy at the moment that most Suns fans and even, you know, people commenting on the Suns are going, how is he going to play? And why did you draft a, you know, a ready-made 22, 23-year-old if he's not going to play? I think it's a great question at the moment when I, uh, you know, bear the the roster out and what the rotation might look at, you know, maybe nine, possibly 10 players. I actually really struggle to find minutes for Cam Johnson at the moment. And uh, I'm not 
um, panicking too much about that. As we know, the NBA season can change very quickly. The NBA moves very quickly. Maybe we make a deal early on in the season that frees up minutes for Cam Johnson. Um, you know, I'm just excited about actually having competent NBA players and making the rookies actually earn their minutes because, you know, recently we've had Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, Tyler Eulis, uh, a whole bunch of draft picks where the rookies didn't earn their minutes at all. They were placed often into starting positions. Uh, and if anything, their development itself, even though I think the draft picks can be seen to be bad ones, I think also developing those guys was really poor by the, the organization as well. And, and they are to blame just as much as the players for, for how much they've failed. So, you know, I'm not panicking too much about the fact that there's not many minutes for Cam Johnson at the moment. It's not a bad thing for him to have to come in and earn them. Uh, and, you know, I think he'll get spot minutes as a great shooter. I think he was the best shooter in the draft. Uh, I had him at 15 on my board, so I don't actually kill the trade too much because I don't think it was as much of an overreach as, as some other people do with their own boards. But, you know, it will be interesting for both him and Ty Jerome because the, the team seems to be really high on them, but it's really hard to find minutes for them currently in this rotation. But as I said, this is the complete opposite of what we're used to as Suns fans. And I actually welcome it. You know, guys are going to have to actually earn their minutes and some positional battles are already looking likely in both the, the starting lineup and backup minutes. And that's a real change in culture here that I'm excited about because, you know, we need to have a team where guys aren't just gifted minutes. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. I feel badly about this because I, I am very, very, very low on the Suns. I'm very, very low on this offseason specifically. I think mm -hmm. this may have been one of the worst offseasons of any of the 30 NBA teams. And I feel bad because you're excited and I want you to be excited. And I'm sure you deserve better basketball than you've gotten over the past decade, to be sure. But on a macro level, looking at the big picture, I don't see how any of this really makes a ton of sense because, you know, even the so going back to the Tyler Johnson move, agreed 100% better player than Ryan Anderson. You know, we'll get on the floor, we'll, we'll create positive a positive effect on this team when he's on the floor. But you know, he's getting paid almost 20 million dollars this year. Uh, and and when so you know, the effect that that kind of has cascading down the roster when you've when you're in the offseason, this team is very much heading to a place where they could be stuck. And not stuck in the place that we've discussed with many Eastern Conference teams where you're stuck, you know, in that seven, eight, nine seed that, that sort of like, you know, fighting for a playoff spot stuck. But you can be stuck even further down. And when, you know, I, I've often argued that you don't need to go boom or bust. You don't need to tear everything down if you're not a contender. That getting the eighth seed, getting the seventh seed can be very, very valuable to a franchise and a fan base. But if you're stuck below that level, that's a real problem. And with the West, the way that it is right now, I don't know that it makes a ton of sense to try to win now. If you're in, if you're in the, the true, like the basement of the West, because the move for Johnson signing Ricky Rubio, who is not, you know, an elite level point guard by any stretch of the imagination, you know, he can be a solid starter and probably the best signing that's, that's come around or the best option that was available for Phoenix. But, and then, you know, and then again, the Cameron Johnson thing, drafting an older guy who may not even play right away, going for Saric when you could get, like you mentioned, Jared Culver. None of this, like, adds up to me to a team that's 
got a reasonable shot at the playoffs and therefore taking off so much of a ceiling for the future just doesn't make sense to me. I do disagree, um, but I'll, I'll throw a few things out there. I think if you're betting uh, on the Suns, it's always a smarter move to take the negative angle because in the last five or six years has shown us that you will more often than not wind up being right. So I, I really don't begrudge uh, non-Suns fans taking that opinion and that viewpoint. I'll also say I'm not expecting this team to make the playoffs or even be close to the playoffs. We're coming off a 19 19 win season, I should say. So, you know, even winning 30 games would be an improvement. I think quite funnily enough, uh, Suns fans are actually hoping to do a similar thing to what the Kings did last season and go from 27 wins in 2017 to 39 wins in 2018. I don't think we'll get even close to 39, but considering we're starting from 19 instead of 27, I think we can make a similar jump in terms of uh, total wins improved upon from season to season. And that's really the, I can't convince everyone of, of why the Suns had a good off season, but you know, that's the context that we're looking at here. You know, you talk about Ricky Rubio, talk about Tyler Johnson, Kelly Oubre, what are the guys they brought in over, I guess, as you're saying, looking more longer term and bringing in maybe a guy like Brandon Clark, guy like Jarrett Culver and, and staying bad. But you, you really need the context of where the Suns are coming from here. You know, it's 10, 10 seasons out of the playoffs. Uh, they've just got Devin Booker starting year one of his five-year uh, extension. They just drafted DeAndre Ayton at number one. In order to really find out whether DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker can take this franchise forward. They need competent NBA players in the starting five around them and the rest of the rotation as well, which the previous GM just wasn't giving them. So there's all these unanswered questions. Can Devin Booker be the number one option on a playoff team, for instance? Is DeAndre Ayton worthy of the number one pick? These are all arguments that go around NBA Twitter, Suns Twitter, all the time at the moment. You know, can the Suns get back to being a 500 team with Bridges, Ayton, and Booker, the core of the team? And, you know, there are a lot of young pieces on this team that, you know, you can be excited about as a fan when the other option is to just be, you know, totally down in the dumps that we've missed the playoffs for the last 10 years. But, you know, that in order to find out the answer to those questions, they needed... a average point guard in Ricky Rubio. They needed a starting caliber point power forward in Dario Saric. They needed Aaron Baines to come in and back up um, DeAndre Ayton for 15 minutes and be able to teach him a few things uh, in you know practices and things like that. They needed guys to come in and set the tone and protect some of these younger guys instead of them going out and getting belted off the floor every night. So, you know, I can totally see how general NBA fans would look at the Suns and go, what are they doing? Like they should just be staying bad while the West is so good, getting more draft picks, you know, building the team up that way that the smarter longer term approach. But we've been doing that for the last five or six years and it's gotten us nowhere, partly because of bad draft choices and partly because they didn't create an environment for those guys to succeed. So I think what James Jones is really set about doing and we you know, won't see until this season plays itself out is actually getting pieces for this team for those questions to somewhat get answered. So everything you're saying makes sense to me on one level, but on the other level, and I just got to, I got to pursue this, this one question more. 
because, you know, the 10 years of not being in the playoffs, I get it. You know, like the Kings have been out of it for 14. So, you know, if you, know, if you, if you want to flex in that regard, the Kings have got you beat. But I'll, I'll say <laughs> the, the, the issue that I have with the argument is simply that, you know, you're saying that you want, you're trying to make a Kings-like jump, but the Kings didn't do this in the way that you're describing. They didn't, you know, give up a, a top six pick, a guy that you yourself mentioned could be a game-changing young player. They did it through Buddy Heald, who's, you know, a top 10 guy. You know, Darren Fox is a top five guy. Marvin Bagley, who's a top five guy. That's where the growth came from. So, you know, I'm happy to to trust the process, as it were, in, in Phoenix, a very different process to that in Philadelphia, and give you the benefit of the doubt. But if you're trying to break that huge, long playoff drought in the way that the Kings did, it's not going to be by foregoing potential future stars. Yeah, my only counter to that is that, and this is me, I guess, trying to justify uh, the thought process of the front office here. You mentioned Fox, Buddy, um, and I can't remember the th- oh, Bagley as well, obviously. The Suns already have Booker, Ayton, and Bridges. They're very high on Cam Johnson. They're very high on Ty Jerome as well, if all reports are to be believed. They got rid of some of the other draft picks that didn't work out. Josh Jackson's another guy that um, I didn't mention before in that group of guys that came in and seemingly failed due to both player and organization, I would say. So just from that respect, I think we're actually a little closer to the Kings than what you may believe in terms of the organization essentially believes they already have the young core. I disagree with them. I think they could have really done with a guy like Jarrett Culver as a secondary playmaker with Devin Booker that brings a little bit of defense. I I definitely agree with that angle if someone takes that. But, you know, just from the organization's thought process, I believe they already think that they have the young core and therefore it's time to actually build a team around that young core to actually give them a chance to succeed. I think that's the thought process here. I don't agree with every single transaction and I don't agree that, you know, I do agree that they possibly could have done a couple of things differently, but I just think that that context is necessary when looking at the Phoenix Suns. I I think they already have what they believe to be those young guys to take the step forward, but it's all about, getting stuff on the court around them, whether it's a starting power forward, whether it's a starting point guard, neither of which they had on the entire roster last season. So it's really hard to find out the answers to these questions unless you uh, give them a chance, essentially. Right. And I am really high on Bridges. You mentioned him kind of being that third guy. Uh, I think Aiton gets a lot of flack for his defense, but actually showed a lot of flashes in that regard. Um, yep. I know you put down a breakdown your guys' uh, podcast channel did going through all his blocks that was uh, cool to look at as well. But in the end, it feels like this is all going to be on the shoulders of Booker to be the number one guy. And uh, mm-hmm. the player that he reminds me of to, on a lesser level is James Harden. I'm sure that's not the first time you've heard the comp. Um, a lot of foul drawing, a two guard that's sort of started to take over the playmaking abilities. And I have a couple questions uh, for you about Booker. Firstly, uh, being that James Harden, you know, it was later into his career. I believe it was his second year in Houston where D'Antoni decided, all right, he's going to be the primary ball handler. He is going to run the offense and his passing took off. Uh, I know that Booker did this a bit last year, 
but it didn't feel like the same level of vision to me. And there were a lot of turnovers that's going to happen at first, but do you think that Devin Booker will continue to progress and eventually potentially become close to an elite level passer? I do. Uh, it's a really interesting thing. Harden, as you say, it's not the first time that that comp has, has been brought up. If you just look at statistically the the, the marks that they're reaching at, at similar ages, Booker's definitely in that. Um, I tend to go more Brandon Roy uh, than James Harden, perhaps showing my age a little bit, going back to Brandon. But I think, you know, and the Suns may think that way, obviously, with being, bringing in Ricky Rubio. It's another point of contention among Suns fans. It's good, a good one that you brought up is, you know, if um, Devin can be the next James Harden, why the hell would you bring in a guy like Ricky Rubio? And I think, you know, he just struggled, as you said, in certain situations, and he still is only 22 years old. So bringing in a competent point guard to take some of that responsibility off him at times um, can be really good for his game. You know, his three-point percentage plummeted last season down to 32% when he was trending up, kind of looking like being a 38 or so three point percent shooter on you know seven attempts the the season before so getting him a few more catch and shoot scenarios with a true point guard in Ricky Rubio should do his percentages wonders there and uh, something that I'm hoping and we're not going to really find out until the season starts is that they actually stagger Rubio and Booker a little bit and, and make sure that one of those guys are on the court at all times I think Rubio could really be good for the second unit uh, Tyler Johnson fits in quite well as a backcourt uh, partner to both of those guys, a guy that can play on and off the ball. So, you know, I hope they do that. And that kind of, I guess, answers your question is, I still think that there's a lot to look into there uh, with Devin Booker being a primary guy uh, with the ball in his hands a lot of the time. So, you know, you've still got to give him those opportunities without Rubio on the court, who, as we all know, isn't a great off-ball threat or, or three-point shooter. So, yeah, I think they're looking to you know, lessen the load on a really young guy who's been quite injury prone in the first four seasons of his career as well, it should be said. Uh, and also a true point guard in Rubio that might help DeAndre Ayton out a little bit as well because, you know, Booker was injured in a lot of different stages, still played 64 games last year, but kind of untimely injuries every 10 or so games. So his chemistry with Ayton probably wasn't anywhere near as it could have been uh, also because he missed training camp as well, which was a bit of a bummer. Right. And I actually came to the same conclusion as you before this, where I would love for one of Rubio and Booker to be on the floor at all times. Uh, I didn't think it was necessarily the most realistic that it would happen. So I kind of also threw Ubre in there because I think he can run a pick and roll a bit that I was hoping yep. to see one of those guys on the floor at all times. Um, but my second question for Booker is, you know, he, he's a great offensive player, 26 and a half points a game. Uh, that'll likely only go up. He's crazy young. But on the defensive end, I feel like half of the amount of points that he um, scores himself, he is accountable for on the defensive end. Like, it, it's horrendous at times. And I understand you have to take a break, but completely falling asleep and not even bothering to rotate. Um, do you think that the defensive IQ will come around? Or is it not even IQ and it's just, effort because the team is losing so many games yeah I think it's more effort than IQ um, this is a topic that comes up quite a lot on our podcast and and in general among Suns fans and I guess everyone uh, tries to take the the glass half full approach and think that you know once he's on a, a more competent team uh, his effort on the defensive end 
um, might get better. And, you know, you, you're not wrong. We've seen some terrible defense from him in the first four years of his career. And we've also seen terrible Phoenix Suns team. So it's a really hard thing to judge like a lot of things with Phoenix. And I hope I'm not coming across too positive here on the Phoenix Suns. Again, I I have to reiterate that whilst I think we will improve, I don't think we're going to be drastically better to be competing for a playoff spot in the West or anything like that. But you know, the hope with Devin, as you say, is once we get better, the effort ramps up a little bit. You know, I think once we're playing in more meaningful games, uh, you know, if if in a film session, you know, this is something I've talked about quite a bit. He's quite a proud guy. So if in a film session, you know, we lose by a bucket and they highlight the fact that it was Devin Booker on the defensive end, you know, getting, um, you know, caught backdoor or, or letting his man, um, you know, go on a pick and roll because he didn't fight over the screen. I think that's where we'll see the improvements from Devin. I think at best he could be an average defender in the NBA and that's purely because he's you know 6'6 pretty athletic I think he gets underrated a little bit athletically so I think to a certain degree he can become an okay defender but I think uh, if he's the number one option on a a playoff team for Phoenix in the future I think you're still going to have to insulate him quite a bit that's why I love the addition of uh, Mikael Bridges and that's why I would have loved the addition of, of Jarrett Culver because both of those guys, either side of Devin Booker, would have allowed you to, I guess, put Booker on the worst of the three you know, guard and wing options for the opposition. Because, yeah, as I said, at best, he can become average. But you'd have to say, as of right now, it's looking much worse than that until uh, the effort picks up. But probably the only glimmer of hope is I've seen quite a lot of people working both with the Suns and Team USA and a few other places talk about uh, his um, development curve and how short it is. Like he can see things, learn things and kind of pick it up very quickly. And I think that's why we've seen him turn from a, you know, spot up shooter at Kentucky to the player that he is now because he's a very, very fast learner. So the hope is, you know, maybe he can make some improvements on the defensive end, but uh, yeah, not to any extent where he's going to be a positive, I wouldn't have thought, in the NBA in any time of his career. Right, and I think he is deceptively strong, similar to James Harden, where he's not going to get absolutely bullied if someone mm-hmm. tries to post him up. Like, I, I don't think a three is going to have uh, a crazy amount of success really backing him down. He's very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you mentioned a lot of him. Uh, you know, I, I think that the falling asleep and uh, really – isn't great for the rest of your team. And it's obvious that this is Devin Booker's team. I feel like, um, do you feel my last question on this is, you know, I, I think there's good reason to have optimism. He could be a number one guy on a playoff team offensively, but can he be the leader of the team? Um, Cause it seems like I see him getting upset a lot. There's plenty of reasons to be upset with a 19 win team. Don't get me wrong, especially when you feel like you're doing a lot of the production yourself. But does it feel like he's someone that's really able to rally the troops? And I know that's kind of hard to tell, not being in the locker room or anything like that. But I feel like you probably have better insight on that than I do. Does it feel like Devin Booker will be the leader of the team rather than just the top contributor? It's a fair question. I think something all through last season, Max and I on our podcast talked about uh, the fact that this team really lacked on-court leadership. And, you know, I don't want to be seen to, uh, I guess, giving excuses or cop-outs to all these players, but I actually blame the organization. Like, this kid is 22 years old and all of a sudden, probably even at age, 
20 when Eric Bledsoe was traded away, like became the best player on the team and, and asked to be the leader. You know, what 20-year-old in the NBA has that thrust upon them with very little veteran presence? You know, Tyson Chandler was basically his vet when he came in and wasn't a great leader himself as the, you know, losses kept piling up. So it's a really uh, fascinating question for me. It's a it's an unanswered question. It'll probably be unanswered for quite a while. But, you know, I don't point the finger at Devin, even when you see those kind of ugly things on video with him getting upset with teammates and things, because I have to remind myself, he's, he's 22 years old trying to carry a, a really bad team. And, and those things are going to happen. And, and, you know, that's why I can probably sound overexcited about additions like Ricky Rubio, even Aaron Baines, Dario Saric. Like we're talking about guys that are actually above 25 years old that will actually be playing on the floor with Devin. And that's been the problem in Phoenix is they've had some veterans, Jared Dudley, Tyson Chandler, uh, a couple of others in the time that Devin's, you know, been the best player on this team. But a lot of those guys haven't been able to also get on the court plus, you know, as well as be the veteran presence. And James Jones has talked about this quite a lot this off season is that the so-called vets that he's brought into these team will actually be part of the rotation. So Devin will get a lot of help there. Um, the team's failed him. As I said, if he was meant to be a leader, uh, I'm not sure that the last few years have helped him along that progression. Maybe he ends up being, you know, again, a James Harden type who I wouldn't necessarily say has been the greatest leader on those rocket teams early on in his career. And they've kept bringing in guys like Chris Paul, you know, he had Patrick Beverly early on uh, and kind of insulated him from that point as well. So can he be the best player on a really good team? I still believe he can. Can he be the, you know, captain or team leader? I, I'm still a very unsure on that. And I'd probably lean no if I had to pick one. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So there is no denying the talent and the still existing potential for guys like Booker and obviously Aiton to be great and to continue to get even better. But you mentioned the guys around him. And I just wonder, you know, talking about this group this, of other additions, the veteran additions, Ricky Rubio, Sarich, as you mentioned, uh, and I'll also throw in Frank Kaminsky into this group as well. I just wonder, and Baines, who I, I like that move a lot. Uh, but this group, you know, I do have questions about them. And I wonder if this is sort of a, you know, I'll give you kind of like an A, B, or C version of, to answer this question. Is this mm -hmm. A, these were the right moves, B, these were the wrong moves, or C, this kind of like these were the these are the right moves that were available for the Suns at the time. Maybe not perfect, but also not a disaster. But you know, what the Suns for what the Suns had available, these were correct. Yeah, it's definitely C. I'm glad you've thrown that in there because I think, you know, us as people who like to comment on all these things tend to 
only believe that it's a choice between the A and the B there, that it's, you know, it was all right or it was all wrong. And I think essentially the Suns' entire offseason sits, you know, somewhere in the middle there with option C. I don't think it was perfect by any means. I think they panicked into a couple of the moves. As I said, most of the transactions on paper uh, individually, the Suns lost out. But I think if you look at it as a collective and what the alternatives were going into this season if they didn't make those moves and then what might have happened into the future, uh, you know, sliding doors moments like, you know, was this, this off-season that's just gone the final point of Devin Booker asking out for a trade, for instance. I think they've avoided a lot of those scenarios, at least for the, the next little while, by bringing in guys like Rubio, Baines, Saric, you know, straight away. That was before... Uh, you know, Rubio was obviously the first day of free agency, but, you know, they took L's to bring in Baines and, and Saric both on draft day to make sure that when free agency rolled around, they didn't have too many things that they had to go out and get. Essentially, starting point guard was really the only key piece they had to worry about. And they weren't left on, you know, say day three of free agency with none of their good options left available and and looking at a really poor roster again going into the season. So, yeah, with that context... Uh, blame Ryan McDonough a lot for you know how he left this roster. I think James Jones had a pretty uphill battle to turn it into a somewhat competent NBA team, and there's still some big question marks. But you know, all things going right, or even some of them going right here, I think the Suns will at least put a competitive team on the floor most nights, which is again not exactly something to be overly excited about, but uh, a lot more than you can say about the last couple of seasons that's for sure yeah I mean I don't mind those moves I think that they got nice pieces uh in some of them like you're mentioning in regards to what was available to them the two though that were dumping salary to make space for a very lucrative Ricky Rubio deal which I I do understand the argument a little bit of you know you need to throw a lot of money to bring somebody to Phoenix uh still feels a little bit more than what I would think but Dumping TJ Warren is uh, one that really, I know Rich and I are very interested in TJ Warren. There's a uh, friend of the pod that's Tam, uh, Tim Maxwell, who's uh, writes for Sacktown Royalty with Rich that's Phoenix based, uh, very big on TJ Warren, potentially wanted him when we had that hole at the three in Sacramento, but emerged as a uh, nice three point shooter last year, albeit on low volume, uh, dumping him and then also. Uh, Josh Jackson, I I don't mind moving on from him. It was past uh, character issues. But DeAnthony Melton uh, was someone that I was interested in as well and putting two second-round picks to Memphis just to get back technically just Javon Carter. What do you think about those salary dumps? Yeah, I was not a fan of the Melton salary dump at all. It was probably the one move that I um, criticized the most. Uh, Potentially a little bit biased, both Max and I, uh, were big fans of Melton coming into Phoenix. Uh, he actually came on our podcast and did an interview with Max after he'd been traded away from Phoenix, which was quite cool um, for for Max to get that interview. Um, but if you look again at um, alternatives in these individual transactions and and those scenarios, there was actually an alternative where they could have just uh, waved and stretched Josh Jackson and got the appropriate amount of salary to finish off the Ricky Rubio deal that they locked themselves into. And I, that would have been the move that I would have done. They would have had 
you know, less than $2 million, I think, on the books for the next three years. And we may even be an over-the-cap team in the last year of that. So, you know, I think that would have been the alternative as a, a cap nerd myself that I would have taken because, yeah, I didn't like... Uh, getting rid of Melton, basically. You know, you can throw the picks in there. You know, I don't think Carter's going to have much of a future in Phoenix or the NBA based on his rookie season, but uh, I would have done anything that I could to keep DeAnthony Melton. TJ is a bit of a different one. Um, I think his time in Phoenix was done. I think the transaction itself was, you know, somewhat rightly criticized to just, you know, give up him and an early second round pick just to get off his cash. But again, they needed to find the space to sign a guy like Ricky Rubio, which was obviously their biggest uh, priority for the off season. So, you know, I heard Rich talking on one of your um, previous episodes. I'm trying to think what team it was. It's not coming to mind at the moment, but, you know, talking about how some trades in uh, the way that Rich was talking about it was, you know, can be win-win. And I think this is a transaction that could actually be a win-win for both. I think if TJ finds a good sixth man role, Uh, In Indiana, he could really thrive. I think us as Phoenix fans, even the ones that didn't love TJ Warren's game, uh, always wanted him to be in a solid six-man role. And again, because of lack of talent on the roster, he was often thrust into roles that I don't think optimally suit him in the NBA. So I'm really excited to see how he ends up in Indiana. But I also just don't think, you know, through these losing seasons, TJ was always injured. Uh, didn't seem very happy towards the end. So they almost, I think, did him a favor by kind of letting him out of Phoenix and and looks like he's excited and happy to be on the Indiana Pacers. So it'll be really interesting to see how he can go on a, a good team, which I think Indiana is. Even, you know, they may not be a great team, but I think he'll be in a role that really suits him as a kind of microwave guy off the bench that can just get you a bucket. He's got holes in his game. Defense is uh, one of them. Uh, passing is another. Uh, surprisingly, as you said, he brought a three-point shot to last season, which was a huge surprise to everyone because he just didn't look like he had that in his game at all. So if he can add a few more things to his game, you know, Indiana could wind up being the you know winner of that trade if you have to pick one. But I also think that uh, it was kind of addition by subtraction with Phoenix because he just didn't have a future on this team. So I'm interested to know what the rotation for the front court is going to look like for this team because they did make a lot of these moves uh, with the front court. I mentioned briefly the Kaminsky signing. That's one that I also scratched my head about a little bit, especially with the player option in year two. But I like the Czech Diallo signing. I love the Baines move there. Um, you guys also added Saric. We've talked about that. So that's a lot of guys that are coming into the front court. Um, you know, not to mention the guys that were already there. What's this rotation going to look like among the big, the big men? Yeah, it's, again, a, a bit of a question among Suns fans, but I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I think you'll have DeAndre Ayton starting at center, obviously, hopefully playing up towards, you know, 33, 34 minutes a night. They've brought Aaron Baines in, obviously, over uh, a guy like Rashawn Holmes, who's now on your guys' team, which is great for him. Um, interesting to see how that Uh, goes for Rashan in Sacramento. Uh, I loved his time in Phoenix, but I think if you compare him and Aaron Baines and particularly uh, what minutes are going to be available behind DeAndre Ayton and also uh, getting a player in that's just going to beat the crap out of DeAndre Ayton at practice, which I don't think Rashan was doing. They were a bit more of a best friend relationship, whereas I think 
Uh, Baines can really come in and be a mentor for DeAndre Ayton. So I think I like that move on and off the court. So that's essentially your centers locked in. Uh, Kaminsky and Diallo, I think, will play uh, or battle it out amongst each other for the backup minutes to Dario Saric and power forward. And as you said, that's a lot of NBA guys. You can argue probably around guys like Frank, although I will point out both Frank and Diallo actually have team options, not player options for the for the following season. So those deals actually look better uh, for the organization with that um, being the case. And they were both signed using exceptions as well. So, you know, kind of, I guess, bonus moves around the edges there. Frank can also maybe play some backup five if, you know, Baines, who's getting a little up in age, has to miss some games or God forbid anything happens to DeAndre Ayton. So just looking more flexible there. And again, with the context of comparing it to last season, we had uh, Ryan Anderson started at the four and not for long. Trevor Ariza played long stretches at the four before he was moved away. TJ Warren was playing at the four. There's an argument, is he more a three than a four? Who knows? So we didn't really have uh, you know, any permanent power forwards on the team last year. And all of a sudden, they've got quite a few options there. So yeah, I think that's basically how the front court rotation will, uh, will look, at least to start the season, guys. You're, of course, right about those options. I apologize. We... Uh... We have the team sheets in front of us, but we put in our notes, we just transcribed it as player option for some reason. So apologies there. But um, I know Brennan has a question about uh, the front court here as well. Yeah, so what's with this whole DeAndre and potentially being a four? Um, there's, you know, I get the offensive pairing of Baines and Aiton. Uh, Baines can hit above the break threes uh, and corner threes that there's a little bit of spacing there. But the defense, I mean, Baines is going to be guarding fives. Is Aiden guarding fours? Is there anything actually to this? I don't think there is. I actually feel bad. I actually started that on NBA Twitter, listening to the Suns uh, podcast called The Outlet. James Jones did a guest spot on that. And he kind of mentioned it off the cuff, like we're doing here. Uh, Lindsay Smith, who's the host of that podcast, asked James about the power forward rotation. And he uh, in order, mentioned uh, Dario, Frank, Czech Diallo, and then right at the end, off the cuff, just said, and if we have to, DeAndre can play power forward next to Aaron at the five. And uh, just as someone that never wants to hear power forward and DeAndre Ayton in the same sentence, I overreacted initially and it kind of took off uh, on Sun's Twitter. And then, uh, you know, being the dead off season, quite a few uh, general NBA people, Matt Moore, couple of others, everyone commented on it. Uh, some people were for it. Some people were against it. Uh, I am very much against it. Uh, I tweeted later on that I think the moment you play DeAndre Ayton at power forward is the moment that you are admitting that you screwed up the 2018 NBA draft. He is a center. The thing that I loved about Igor Kokoskov is that he would only ever talk about him as a center and would not even entertain playing him with another big. So that is very much my viewpoint on it. I hope it's not something that we see other than, you know, maybe situationally to end a game where you need a defensive rebound off a free throw or, you know, matchups dependent for whatever reason you decide to throw Baines and Aiton out there. Suns fans have gone a little too wild with uh, Aaron Baines as a, you know, stretch capability and therefore why can't you play them both together? I just think, it, you know, for that one positive, there's many, many negatives about why you wouldn't play 
those two guys together for any meaningful minutes. So hopefully it was just an off-the-cuff comment. Uh, there was another off-the-cuff comment from James Jones at Summer League about you know DeAndre Ayton potentially sitting some games where it's just not his night at the end of the game and watching Aaron Baines um, you know, start or, or finish the game at centre, I should say. And uh, likewise, Suns fans were up in arms about that one of how you could possibly even think about not finishing with your number one pick, 7-1 uh, big man, DeAndre Ayton. So I think very much an off-season topic that we went a little bit too overboard on. Uh, but I am going to watch it because Earl Watson played Alex Len and Tyson Chandler together when his job was on the line. So you can never count anything out in the NPA. Yeah, certainly not uh, in cities like Phoenix and Sacramento at times. But uh, <laughs> yeah, let's if you if you wouldn't mind helping us finish out uh, the rotation talk, if you want to give us you know the rest of the starting five and and the closing five are your best estimations as well as the first guys off the bench, then we'll just get right to. Uh, a win total prediction. Yeah, no worries. I think, as we said, Ricky Rubio will start at point guard, Devin Booker at shooting guard. Suns fans are pretty divided on who should start at small forward, but I think with the payday that he got, uh, and until Mikhail, much like I said at the start, uh, this could be a positive until he really proves that he should be the starting small forward. I think Kelly Oubre uh, will start at small forward, Dario Saric at power forward, and DeAndre Ayton. Um, at center and then guys we've mentioned that that should be the the rest of that rotation I think will be Tyler Johnson as a guard off the bench hopefully they stagger Rubio and Booker as I said uh, Bridges should see a lot of his minutes at the two and the three uh, Frank and Diallo I think one of them will play every night maybe based on whether you need more shooting or whether you need more athleticism in Diallo uh, Aaron Baines should play 15 minutes a night. That's kind of nine guys. And then, as we mentioned, there's pretty much rookies uh, and young guys for the rest of the uh, roster there. So depending on how they're going and injuries and things like that, we might see guys like Ty Jerome, uh, Cam Johnson. Uh, who am I missing here? We've got uh, Javon Carter, obviously, will be at the end of the bench. Uh, Ali Kobo, I don't actually expect to be on the Suns to start the season. Uh, and that's Jaylen pretty much Lequeux. the entire roster. LeCue, I think, Lequeux. will be uh, with the Naz Suns all year. And I actually like that for him. I think that was a great deal for Phoenix as an undrafted guy directly after the draft to sign him. And uh, it's pretty much a you know low-risk, high-reward move for him. He's very, very raw. Um, but if you know, we've said it on our podcast, if we're seeing Jalen LeCue play at point guard for the Phoenix Suns, it means that this season has gone... Uh, just as bad as last one. So hopefully, even though I, I really like the kid, uh, hopefully we're not seeing him uh, with the main team this season. Yeah, and just the very last thing from you would be a win prediction. Uh, we usually base it off the Vegas over-unders, and I looked at a bunch of them, and the lowest one I found was 19, and the highest was 29 and a half. Um, yeah. It's quite a range. Where do you sit at for this Suns teams next year, win total-wise? This is really funny. And listening to the last few uh, teams that you guys done ending with this, I, I chuckled to myself knowing that this was going to get thrown my way to, to end the podcast. Cause I think I have, uh, you know, laughed at the Vegas over under for Phoenix the last three or four years and taken the over and been wrong every single damn time. So I'm a little gun shy. Uh, I can very confidently say they'll easily win more than 19 games that I can be very confident of. Yeah, I think, as you said, 
Some of them get up to about 27 and a half, 29 and a half, as you said, is probably the highest you can find out there. I think that's about right. I think all going right, they can be low 30s um, and things going wrong, particularly to some key players, they might be back down in the you know mid 20s. So yeah, I think it's fair that you, you know, it's really hard to find a range for them um, that's, uh, I guess, similar across a lot of these bookies in Vegas because I think there's a lot of unanswered questions still. But uh, the hopeful Suns fan in me at September 22 here in Australia is still more on the positive side and I think will break the 30 wins but still be pretty low down in the Western Conference because as Sacramento and Phoenix both know, uh, it is going to be a bloodbath in, in the Western Conference, particularly at the top this year. Yep. And last question from me, we like to zoom out a little bit, go three to five years as far as uh, your take on the team's ability to improve over that time. Um, you know, I will mention again, my concern that the cap sheet is just a little more clogged than you would expect for a team that uh, had 19 wins last year, um, even going forward, you know, into next year. But um, yeah, what is your, what's your outlook for, for three to five years down the road here? Yeah, we did. I didn't get to touch on that before when you mentioned that. I think, yeah, there are some contracts on at the moment, which are kind of relics of, of the roster that Ryan McDonough put together. You know, Tyler Johnson's big salary being one of them. At least it's a playable player and not Brandon Knight, which is essentially what that spot was originally. And then Ryan Anderson, as we said. But, you know, I think there is some freedom there. I, I'm kind of big on the salary cap. Anyone listening to me would probably know that if they follow me on Twitter or anything. But you know, there is going to be an opportunity, particularly with the way that they've structured Ubre's deal uh, and Ricky Rubio's as well. I think in three years' time, just before Aiton and Bridges need to be extended, there will be an opportunity to, to bring in another Max guy. And that's all going to depend on how these young kids can be viewed among the NBA uh, over those next two or three years, which I guess is a great way to sum up why I'm a little more positive than most on the off season that they've had to at least give these kids a chance. But, you know, I think if we look three years from now, you're going to be in a position where if things aren't going right, Devin Booker's essentially already asked out or, or starting to murmur that he may want out of Phoenix in like the last two years of his five-year extension, I suppose. So yeah, I think within three years, the Suns need to be, uh, had a playoff berth under their belt, I would imagine, even if it's sneaking into the eight seed or something like that in, in two seasons or three seasons time. And uh, they really, if, you know, what they believe in that these guys can do in five years time, they should be right at the top of the Western Conference competing because if they're not, uh, the team probably has been blown up by then uh, with either Devin Booker leaving uh, or DeAndre Ayton maybe even being looked to move out because, yeah, the core of Booker, Ayton and Bridges in five years' time, will all be kind of hitting their prime or in their prime. So that's the the rosy outlook for the Phoenix Suns is is within three years, we should be in the playoffs and uh, within five, we should be a contender, really. That, that's all we have for you, David. We want to give you a chance at the end here to plug every, anything and everything you got going on, man. Yeah, well, you can follow me over at the four point play. That's the four Roman numerals, IV point play on Twitter or our pod account, as you mentioned, Brendan. Uh, we often do video threads on the Phoenix Suns and, uh, you know, comment on a little bit of NBA general stuff as well. So that's at seven, the number seven, S-O-L pod. 
on Twitter. Love talking with people. I'm sure anyone listening to this might think that I'm overly optimistic if they want clarification on Twitter or to, to discuss anything. I, you know, that's why I'm on Twitter. I love to talk about that stuff. Uh, and I just have to thank you guys for, for having me on and giving me a chance to talk about the Suns. Kind of looking forward to, you know, the games against the Kings. We're obviously in the same division, uh, been somewhat rivals over the years. Uh, and it'll be interesting, you know, with how strong the rest of the division is, uh, how those Phoenix and, and Sacramento games go. So I'm sure I'll be in touch with you guys around those games uh, this season. And uh, yeah, I'll throw one last caveat in there that everything I've talked about is definitely on the low percentage. But as you say, uh, you know, you've got to be positive at this time of the year because uh, I'm not sure what else we would do or, or how I would be able to keep my sanity if I'm not. Absolutely, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple of days.